guess what, everybody? I fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, it's Basic Snitches, where we fuck up. (laughs) Exactly. You didn't even need to say this, Basic Snitches. They're like, ah, yes, I made it to the right podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Adam. My brain's already on vacation. (laughs) I'm Tara, and my brain was left on vacation. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So the reason (laughs) we fucked up, you'll find out soon. (laughs) But... uh, We are recording via Zoom today, once again, because one of my fuck-ups. Originally, we were going to be in person, and then Tara, of course, is in a bridal party for the lovely Dan Victoria, who have been on the podcast. And I looked at my schedule and realized I double-booked myself and couldn't actually record when we were going to after my vacation, so we're doing it on Zoom instead. But Which is a-, a good thing, because I have COVID. Everything works out in the end. So that happened. That sounds like the wrong thing to say after Tara's like, I have COVID, but. (laughs) That's what it is. (laughs) She's still looking good. Uh, We got on Zoom and Adam complimented me and I was like, I know I look like literal garbage, but apparently I look great in the camera and it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Adam's like, you feel better. Glow. Also, this is, I think, the first time that we're recording where you have your new laptop. Yes, I recorded a couple times with the in-death ladies with this new laptop, but you and I record in person a lot. And uh, so far, it seems to be doing pretty well. I like it. I literally only use it for podcasting. Today, we're going to do chapter four, horse, no, is that chapter four? Yeah. (laughs) And it's horse shit. Horse, horse, Horse slughorn. Yeah, before we talk about that chapter. Do you want to talk about how amazing our patrons are? Sure. Let's do it live this time. As always, thank you to our lovely patrons. You can also be added to this list, by the way, at patreon.com slash basic niches for as low as $3 a month. You'll get exclusive content every week as well as be acknowledged like these folks. And they are... <laughs> Just kidding. We have no patrons anymore. Okay. We have, uh, they all quit. Ashley, Brian, Brittany, Jen, Layla, Mary Beth, Megan, Nisi, Olivia, Nicole, and Raph. And this week we will be doing a thing that we haven't recorded yet. I hope you like it. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the winner and loser of the last chapter, which in case we needed to remind ourselves, that is where Dumble comes to Privet Drive. And I'm sure you know who the winner and loser of the chapter is. I'm going to go with it being Dumble and Vernon. You are correct. Yes. Dumble wins, Vernon loses, obviously. Yes. (laughs) The Dursleys really didn't do too much, but he did very callously exclaim that his godfather was dead and we don't like him. So sometimes people just lose because I don't like them. Because you know what? That's how society treats me. (laughs) I lose all the time because people don't like me. (laughs) Because society has weird ways of measuring people that don't make sense. (laughs) Correct. Okay, for chapter four, (laughs) nobody wrote a thing. (laughs) Adam fucked up. It was an honest fuck up. We're out of order on our chapters because we don't have a chapter where you can just throw together the word spiders lots of times, which is what we did last time. (laughs) We're going to try something different. We are taking this idea from another Harry Potter podcast, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, in which at the beginning of every chapter, they would do a 30 second recap of what happened in the chapter, get out everything they possibly could. So that is what we're going to do. We're each going to do that. I'm going to go first. Adam, are you ready to time me or do you need me to time myself? I'm ready. Whenever you are ready. Okay. 
So Dumbledore is like, Harry, we gotta go find this guy. And they go to this little town. Um, and it's really creepy and they kind of set it up to be really scary or whatever. And they go into this house, which um, they kind of just rudely go into. And Dumbledore's like, he's here somewhere and surprise, he's couch. Um, and it's Professor Horace Leghorn who taught potions. And um, then he's like, this is Harry. And then Dumble goes to the bathroom. And uh, got to take his head. <laughs> no, that's how I just... Was that the end? Yes, the word that came out of my mouth. <laughs> enough, enough of this tripe. It's much. <laughs> well, good. You can pick up where I leave off. Shit. Even. Wait, hold on. <laughs> just I'll just start off somewhere. Yep. Okay, I believe in you. They meet Horace out Slughorn, and he used to be the potions master back in the day, like in the. 70s, whenever the, the Lily and James were there. Anyways, the, he collects students, as in he's like, oh my god, come to my club and be my friend. I got all the blacks except for that one. That sounds really racist, but that's not what I mean. At the end, though, Harry's like, yeah, I'll come. Or not Harry, the, the other one. Slughorn's <laughs> like, yes, I'm gonna come, I because I want Harry on my collection. Time. And, oh, okay. So that's harder than I think either of us were prepared for. <laughs> nope. And you know what? The people on that other podcast, I would always, every time I listen to them, be like, come on, you guys are terrible at this. <laughs> and now I know. <laughs> we didn't even really prepare. As you were doing it, I was like, fuck, I need to actually remember what's in this chapter. It was kind of nice to do like the pass off. <laughs> it was fun. If you liked that. Maybe we'll do it again. Yeah, we could continue to steal it. Until then, we're going to keep writing things. Yep. Look forward to a thing next week. How does this chapter start? Harry's first apparition. Yes. Which, listen, apparition sounds terrible. Here's the thing. I still want to do it. Exactly. That's that's (laughs) the thing. This might not be the best comparison, but it's like, sometimes you just really need to get blackout drunk. (laughs) And sometimes the hangover is worth it. That's apparition for you. Okay, okay. See, a hangover is far worse than probably the after effects of apparition. And apparition is far better than getting blackout drunk. Fair. But yeah, one for the baby book. There really hasn't been a huge focus on apparition up to this point. We've talked so many times about magical travel in this series. You know, even in book four, we were talking a lot about, okay, what's the new mode that is introduced here? And of course, it's port keys. You know, there's Thestrals in the last one. So Apparition being like the big one, this is it. We finally got here. I don't really remember them bringing it up too much in the past. Is that true about Apparition? That this is like maybe one of the first major times when it's uh, talked about? I think that it is. I think it absolutely is like the first time. I think that it's maybe mentioned in other, maybe like the last book or the fourth book, because I can't imagine that it wouldn't have come up during the World Cup or, but yeah, this is the first time. Not only do we get to learn really how it is, but also we get to see Harry experience it. And of course, this is where it's introduced that you have to be 17 in order to take your test and everything. Once they touch down and they're walking towards Slughorn's, or rather the muggles that he's squatting in the house of, which we'll get to, there's almost this like back and forth question and answer thing with Dumble. And at first I had some feelings about it. And I think those feelings changed positive by the end. 
Okay. One of them, of course, at first it seems he's just trying to make idle conversation. There's this question and answer thing and Dumble asks about his scar hurting, which to me at first was like, it's quite an awkward, let me see what I can ask this kid. But as it went on, <laughs> we of course learned that Voldemort is now employing occlumency against Harry because he learned his lesson from the last book, which is interesting. That's not something that pops out as like a potential, but the fact that he's blocking Harry from reading Voldemort's thoughts. So that was an interesting moment. Another thing that comes up here is when Harry asks, hey, dad, where are we going to go see my old colleague, Horace Slughorn, Dumble says something like, find a use for you. You'll be able to help, essentially, but we'll be able to find a use for you makes him feel like a tool. Like Harry feel like a tool. Dumbledore is like a metaphorical tool, if you will. I think maybe that's also why at first I'm kind of looking at Dumbledore and being like, mm, I don't really like how he's approaching this. But then there's some other things that come up. Harry asks about his hand. Dumble is like, I'll tell you later. And he kind of pushes it off. I'm like, what the hell is Dumble's deal here? He's like, this is an opportunity for him to connect more with Harry. But then he sort of does. In the narration, actually, Juicy Lucy, which is what we're calling the author this episode, he kind of like turned and smiled as if to show that he still is going to be telling Harry what happened. Oh. So I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. And then one other question that Harry asks here is about apparition and says the thing about why don't we just apparate into his house and then that's when Dumble's like well first of all that's fucking rude and oh okay now you're worried about being rude Dumble there's that because I was getting that rude vibe from him but also like yeah wizards got ADT too okay simply safe sponsor us but can you imagine like if we could apparate like if you apparated into my house while I'm like I don't know pulling the pads or something. I would be pretty mad at you. First of all, I wouldn't. <laughs> What's the purpose of having doors then, you know? To keep nature um, outside? I would never just operate into someone's house. I would operate to their door. Well, bring also, an umbrella think, in case there's not a good covering over their door. I think you also know better to operate into my house because you're like, he's probably naked. Yeah. Well, it's your house. There you go. What do you think I'm going to do when I finally get curtains for my house? Uh-huh. Yeah. See, now you know I have so many curtains in my house. Yes, but I don't know that they all need to be completely blocking out the light. But hey, to each his own. There's the part of the living room right there above the couch where I've started to like let the sun I'm super go. proud of you. I was like, oh, it's not Dracula's dungeon. I love it. First of all, I have like a little mini weeping willow outside <laughs> that door. And that weeping willow is like, don't worry, honey, take your pants off. Thank you, weeping willow. <laughs> the second thing about that is I'm starting to get to an age that's like, if someone has the audacity to look in my windows, then they deserve to see me naked. Don't get any ideas, listeners. Don't be like parking in my driveway. Well, you know, you said what you said. I guess I <laughs> didn't I? I mostly bring this up because I'm still kind of thinking about, and it actually kind of... Eh. I wouldn't say full circle, but it kind of resolves at the end of the chapter, all of this unresolved tension from when, where we left Dumbledore and Harry at the last book. Like it even says, last time Dumbledore saw Harry, he was like ripping up Dumbledore's office. Yeah. I think that this also goes to show us just where Harry falls on the forgiving Dumbledore spectrum. You know, we saw in the last chapter, Harry, with good reason, didn't actually 100% believe that Dumble would come. 
And he's got that youthful bit of him that's unwilling to completely turn away from an adult that has done good for him. Even in the last book, you know, when Dumble shows up, Harry's not like, oh, fucking Dumble, you need to be here to do this faster. Like, he's like, oh, we're saved. Because he knows what Dumbledore is. That is their personal whatever between them that they kind of went through in the last book. It's very interesting because it's a very mature thing. Harry can separate that pretty well. A very specifically mature thing that Harry can do. It's only Dumbledore, I think. Well, and if that's the case, like bonus points then, Harry, because you're also dealing with the trauma and the loss and yeah. all of these other negative things too. But I think you're right. He is able to get these cues off of Dumbledore, which, you know, there have been moments where I have felt like at the very least, Harry has some like clairvoyance. Now we, of course, learn, and this is in the next chapter, that he did indeed fucking fail his divination owls. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he doesn't have some of these powers. It's just divination is like the use of tools, basically. And he's not using his tools. He's just using his own gifts and powers, you know? The one other little detail that I did not touch on that also happens in this conversation... The other thing that is brought up here that is like major, major foreshadowing is, of course, the mention of the inferi, which is yes. like right after his hand is fucked up, or he acknowledges that his hand is fucked up, I should say. This is a good thing for us to acknowledge since they play a terrifying scene in this book and movie. So. And then they finally make it to Slughorn's house, and the door is ajar, and everything is fucked up. <laughs> it's so fun because Harry is clearly like unnerved by this because who the fuck wouldn't be? And Dumble's just like, uh-huh. Or... He even says at some point, like, oh, wait a minute. So this person is here. And Dumble's like, oh yeah, I just need to figure oh. out where it does really describe the room quite well about like how it's like torn apart and like what is all fucked up. And then that is when we realize that Horace Leghorn <laughs> has transfigured himself into an armchair. Yes, which is honestly a skill. It is. If you were in his position, what furniture would you be? Probably not furniture where people could sit on me. Yeah, I don't want people sitting on me. I might as well just take a page out of the book of Beauty and the Beast and be a wardrobe. Oh, really? Yeah, why not? I was I thinking, know. like, what is the furniture that like best suits my personality? A bookcase, obviously, makes a, a lot of sense. I mean, a refrigerator. Yeah. I'm already a refrigerator, bitch. <laughs> Most of the things in Beauty and the Beast are like household objects and not furniture. I totally would just be like a coffee pot. That's not furniture. So I'm going to go with a wardrobe. Because then you have to like shrink yourself down. That, like household object is altogether different and like even yeah. more complicated. A wardrobe. Yeah, that makes sense too. I'm going to go with a bookshelf. A bookshelf is totally you. Not for anything. Both of us could also easily transform into toilets. That would probably work as well. <laughs> so, that's not necessarily furniture, <laughs> but like if we're playing The Sims, sure, it's furniture. Slughorn oh says something like, no need to stick it in so hard, Dumble. And then they start fucking <laughs> right there in front of Harry. Like, hasn't Harry had enough trauma from the Dumbledore? Harry's like, this is, this is the last straw. This now you're going to go fuck this walrus man. Right, <laughs> but that is one of those dirtiest lines that jumped out like a sore thumb so i had to mention it oh um, yeah that's also when dumble 
reveals that the dark mark was not over the house, which I and like. He's like that oh fuck, really I forgot cool. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which then also makes me think: okay, what was Slughorn's true purpose for? disguising the house like this because he had even said something like i was just putting the finishing details on it and to me in the book we'll get to what the movie says but in the book it seems almost like he was expecting this visit from dumbledore and did this in order to hide from dumbledore i believe that he was trying to hide from dumbledore and i'm not sure what the hell kind of black magic he's got going on where he can tell it's fucking dumbledore walking up the path he's clearly a very skilled wizard my question is, with this coupled with the fourth book, is it common knowledge to know how to make a dark mark or shouldn't only Death Eaters know how to do that? See, that's another thing. Like, I imagine you could probably conjure something and maybe it's not like a true dark mark, like a doctored or photographed picture or something, let's say. But there is that too. Not just anybody can do that. Now, in the book, they even call this something. It's like a security charm or something. I think he was saying that he was like in the bubble bath and then all of a sudden he had to like switch on the security charm. It's not security charm. He said, didn't hear my intruder charm go off. I was taking a bath so i don't know if it's like an instant thing where he can be like oh time to hide and become a chair it almost paints it to be just like hey there's someone coming to my house i'm gonna hide especially since it's a muggle's residence then again you run into the issue of okay what if it's like the neighbors coming over or the muggles i don't know family members or something like that tripping it at that point i wonder if the intruder charm also gives you some ability to see who is there. It must. It's kind of like that robot that I'm not going to say her name, but the one that has a uh-huh. screen, like a yeah. ring doorbell sort of situation, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but it definitely seemed to me like it, I agree that it was him hiding from Dumbledore very soon after this and after they fixed the room, which again, once we get to the movie, I think I'll have much more to say because oh, yeah. pretty chef's kiss in my opinion. That's when Dumbledore's like, I got to go take a shit. Here, Harry, talk to Horace Slughorn. <laughs> Poor Harry. Slughorn's like, don't think I don't know. And Harry's it, like, what don't you know? I don't know. It's kind of like that trope almost of the company gets invited over and your mom or dad has to go, I don't know, check on the food that's cooking. And so the kids have to sit there and like entertain the company, these adults they just met, that it kind of has that feel to yeah. it. Yeah. I kind of already mentioned it, but this is also where we learn that he's squatting, of course, and he's basically making sure that he is not staying in one place too often. Now that to me definitely feels like, okay, he's just trying to cover his bases and stay safe amid all of this. So that's not too bad, but I'm like, wow, squatting, like what happens if they come home from vacation early or something? like that so wanted to mention that of course because that's when that shows up so (laughs) they're left alone obviously like what else is slughorn gonna say what are either of them gonna say he tells harry that he looks of course like his parents or rather like your father and then he's like yeah and i got my mom's eyes i know i've heard it a hundred times and that is the foray then for horace to start talking about the slug club we of course don't know that that's what it's called yet like jumps right into insulting people Based on their blood status. Yeah. He's like, no, no, no. I was so surprised at your mother because she's muggle-born. He's like, excuse you? Yeah. Or like, that's not necessarily what you would expect because they, he mentions Hermione, of course, as well. A Slughorn kind of plays it off, but you do get this like underlying like current of creepiness because of like how he's talking about students. And later, of course, Dumbledore calls it the collecting 
which is suitably creepy for it. I don't necessarily see that Slughorn is trying to do anything malicious, but it does, like when you step away and look at it from afar, you can kind of see how it's a little bit weird. It's very clear that he's definitely a person who has always been attracted to the idea of power. It's really interesting. This this is maybe the only thing that I think he has in common with Harry is that he recognizes stuff in other people. And I think Harry does too, but Harry doesn't do it, you know, for his own good. Harry does it because that's just who he is, you know, but he's like, how can I benefit from putting this person in the correct place is how Slughorn works. And that's a skill. He definitely is like, I want to be close to the power, but he doesn't want to be the power. Yeah, this is the first time, perhaps, where we see this kind of angle of the Slytherin being in power and vision. And looking at it from a different point of view, because that's totally what it is. But it's not the picture of a Slytherin that we've been forced fed up to this point of that they're just fucking opportunists or that they have some vendetta or additional motives or anything. Yeah, ulterior motive. Yeah. yeah thank you like it gives me luna energy at first like when we meet her like you're not quite sure what to think here especially yeah. if they start by saying oh you're a slytherin but he's not giving off that clearly forced fed evil or douchebag energy that we see you could point out snape and draco for example they're not like the slytherin death eaters that we've seen but they do come off as callous or like there's the Rita Skeeter who is an opportunist like it's it's like a very soft it's like a human niffler if you will yeah and that's obviously like the point of the character my favorite thing about it though is that Harry pushes back like yeah well my best friend is Muggleborn she's the best in the class and then when he's like look at all these amazing people I know Harry's like oh they know how to find you his instincts are definitely prepared for situations to question everything that's coming from this last year of being like wow I can't fucking trust adults yeah what the fuck is this guy about you know you know it's funny that you saw it from that perspective and the thing is is you're totally right I think both of us are right because what I read it as is that he's doing a great job convincing him to come back to Hogwarts he is and he does not realize that's what he's doing. Yeah. Harry has no idea that that's what Dumbledore is using him for, which I have feelings about. Harry is just playing it the way he's playing it. This man is talking to me. He wants to talk about my parents and say Muggleborns are surprising when they're smart. I'm going to tell him what I think and how I feel. Wow, you're not impressing me. Harry is not impressed. I think he could tell that Slughorn wants to impress him. And Harry is like, nah. <laughs> yeah, man, there's so many angles for this because mm-hmm. at the end of this, and we're by no means, I think, at the end of the discussion about this little collection thing. At the end of the chapter, Dumble's like, well done. And he's like, I didn't do anything. And it's like, yeah, you did. You did all the work. And I agree. Like I had said earlier how Dumble is talking about Harry as if he's a tool. And it kind of shows that Dumbledore really is viewing him as a tool. The fact that he even says that, but then he steps away and knows Harry enough that he will push back in this way that will almost complement what Slughorn is thinking and doing. It's kind of amazing how their personalities mesh in this very strange way. Not that they have like a connection or like chemistry or anything, but they kind of give each other what they need to move the plot along. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that is Dumbledore. I don't think this is surprising or 
news, but I am a Slughorn sympathizer. I love Slughorn. I find him to be an incredibly fascinating character who is reluctantly, but also willing to confess his flaws Mm-hmm. and to be flawed in an unhindered kind of way. This trajectory just makes so much sense for me that, of course, Dumbledore would bring Harry. Slughorn and Harry are like equally suspicious of the situation for <laughs> yeah. different reasons. And yeah. it's just a really cool scene. And I don't think you're supposed to like Slughorn after the first chapter where you meet him. That's why I kind of mentioned him being sort of like Luna, sort of. Yeah. Not at yeah. all at the end, but I also do like Slughorn because he is so different. And you already see that in this first chapter where we meet him, especially because he is proudly Slytherin as well. Oh, yeah. You know, he does kind of catch himself several times and like, oh, I understand where this might come off as weird yeah. something like that too which is why i like the way that harry approaches the situation because harry is also very authentically himself i like that you're a slughorn sympathizer too because this is a very unique character that we haven't quite seen up to this point that will be very interesting to look at in this book very similarly to book five when i think of that book it is like overwhelmingly umbrage And then book seven, I always talked about in the past how it's them walking through the woods. And of course it's not. There's a lot of nuances in both of those books. Yeah. But for some reason, this one, I always think of Slug Club as being like one of the main things that comes up. And then of course, Potions Class as well. Or, well, yeah, Potions Class is Slughorn too. So. So it's all like Slughorn is such a like integral character. So this introduction, I think, is extremely interesting the way that we see this push and pull with Harry. So this is also where Slughorn takes the opportunity to show a lot of his collections. And first of all, I'm like, you are like squatting in a muggle's house. You are moving every other week, but you can still have time to set up your shrine to all of like, <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, what the heck? Well, Harry kind of calls him out on that. He's like, um, they know how to find you? What? Yeah, that too. That's <laughs> Which that's actually one of those key things that I think helps persuade him and that, you know, at Hogwarts, you would have safety. You would have a location where people know where you are, where you can get these adoring gifts or letters or whatever from your past students that you had a relationship with. Uh, Teacher-student relationship. Don't get gross, listeners. Yeah, Um, I was good. That's what I'm talking about in terms of Harry responding in a very authentic Harry way, but not realizing that he is completely persuading him and doing exactly what he wants him to do. I do want to talk about some of the people that he brings up to. Of course, in every chapter, we are going to have to mention Sirius because it happens in the next chapter too. It's like Phoebe's Playhouse when there's like, word of the day. And then you have to scream when it's word of the day. You don't remember that? No, but I know what you're talking about. Okay. Well, in this book, they have to have fucking, what did I call her? Juicy Lucy? She needs to have serious mention in every fucking chapter just to remind Harry, oh, guess what? Your godfather's dead. She a bitch. So, of course, that happens. Yeah, she being Juicy Lucy. Which, that is probably like the Easter egg in every single one of our episodes this season so far, which I'm fine with. I'm just reminding you all, we like the art, but the artist is a piece of shit. Artist in quotes, Mm -hmm. shall we say. I mean, it's brilliant, right? Whatever. Of course, we start with Sirius. 
And of course, Harry's parents, especially Lily, that gets into Regulus Black, which is key as well. But then we get into some unique names. There's Dirk Cresswell, who is the only name that I remember from somewhere. Like Dirk Cresswell has been mentioned in this series so far. He has. Who is he? (laughs) It's the exact same as how he's mentioned in here. He works for the Goblin Liaison Office. That's it. Oh, and he's just someone that we saw at the ministry. Yeah. He's okay. mentioned in the fourth book. Interesting. All right. Well, at the very least, I have a slight memory of this name that we're never going to probably see again. Then, of course, we get into Barnabas Cuff, who is the editor of The Daily Prophet. Ambrosius Flume, who I think was a, a store somewhere. Uh, <laughs> Honeydew. He's Honeydew. Oh, yes. I was going to say Fortescue's, but obviously Fortescue's is Florian Fortescue. And then Gwenog Jones, who is part of the Holyhead Harpies. Other than Dirk, I don't think these other people have been mentioned, but I want to say them now because when we get to the movie, two of them are mentioned. Mm-hmm. And they have like an actor and an actress for Barnabas and for Gwenog that are actually in the pictures. I, I, like the fact that they included that like shocked me. It's such minute details, you know? Love it. And we don't hear about those two or these three, including Ambrosia, Ambrosia Ambrosius, whatever. We don't hear about them ever again, do we? I don't think so. That blew my mind seeing that in the movie, but also, as you know, I'm paying very close attention to a lot of these names. So Dumble finishes his lovely shit and comes out and is like, I like knitting patterns. I'm gay. And he's like, Horace, fuck you. I knew you were going to say no. And they're walking outside and Horace comes outside and he's like, just kidding. I'm going to do it, but I want to raise, bitch. Good for you. Get that raise. That's right. Get that raise. That's right. You're going to get protection. You're going to get more money. Like, manifest that wealth or it's Slughorn. Know your worth, my guy. As they're walking away, there is this thing that I had mentioned of Dumble saying, well done. And Harry's like, I didn't do anything. There is this moment, though, where he connects the fame, where Dumbledore is calling Harry, like, the crown jewel. And basically showing all of his cards about all of this. And Harry has this connection back, which is, of course, very important to continue to reiterate. And that is his fame and how that is connected to the prophecy and how that is now something that is weighing on his mind. I think that's important because that and Sirius's death are like the two things that they are like drilling in at this point, you know? Oh, yeah. And then finally, they apparate to the burrow and they have this little conversation in the spider hut. <laughs> it's a spider hut. Like, why were we in this cupboard? Come on. Yeah, he's like, this is very familiar. When Dumbledore is like, hey, you should tell Ron and Hermione and whatever. And like, they do talk about how Harry does actually like talk a little bit about Sirius with Dumbledore. And that's nice. And we get the Dumbledore telling Harry that he can't call Snape Snape. Yes, call him Professor <laughs> Snape. What the hell? Who cares, Dumbledore? But he's yeah, like, so Professor <laughs> Snape. And he Harry's like, oh, I'm sorry, motherfucker. How's that? <laughs> Right? Come on. He says you're going to take lessons from me and also have your invisibility cloak with you. Yeah. So some of these details make somewhat sense. I'm a little bit surprised to hear Dumble say you should tell Ron and Hermione. But at the same time, we will talk about this more in the next episode where in the next episode when it happens, I think that there's some other benefits to that. I think Dumble also just knows that Harry's isn't going to make it anywhere without them. Mm, yeah, that too. Very Especially much Hermione. But, but also Ron. I think Ron serves a purpose there too. Up to this point in this book, we have already pretty much established what happens at the end in many ways. Yeah. His hand's fucked up. We mentioned 
mentioned in Fury, we have a whole chapter about Snape doing something for Draco and then Snape playing double agent. That is being set up. So Dumble knows what is probably going to happen next year. You're totally right. Like it sets up book seven already in the fourth chapter of this book. Yeah. Well, Dumble has to, you know, he's setting up to play his card. And I think Harry recognizes some of that because Dumbledore flat out admits to him without saying exactly that, that he was using him to get Slughorn to come to Hogwarts. So that is all laid out here. But then there's also this moment where at first I was kind of like, once again, just like the beginning of the chat, I questioned how valid is this conversation where he is very empathetic and sympathetic towards Harry about Sirius. And he says, it's cruel that your time was cut short and all this other stuff. And at first I was like, I don't know how much I believe this, but when you think about it, speaking of the trajectory of this book, this is maybe one of Dumble's last one-on-one private conversations with Harry before, of course, they do have that big adventure with the inferior and everything, but it doesn't make sense during that to be like, Oh, by the way, sorry, that Sirius died. You know, like, yeah, I kind of changed my tune on it. And I was like, okay, I kind of see this. And then he goes into those other details that you mentioned, which made it feel a little bit more valid to me, you know, as people in general, not necessarily us, but I think that we don't think of Dumbledore as also still learning. And even though in the last book, he says to Harry, as Harry is destroying things in his office, forgive me because I thought this, I thought this. Truly, I think that this scene and this conversation with Harry, it comes from a place of understanding and learning. And in this conversation, he gives information, he gives opinion, and he gives encouragement Mm -hmm. in a way that is not necessarily what we've seen before and not necessarily what we'll continue to see and it's in such a weird place you know we're like oh about to leave you here harry i find dumbledore to be very flawed but he's also very interesting he also knows like he's different than the people who just think they're always right and suck he knows what he's doing he's aware that he's using harry he's aware that he has to manipulate slughorn and that that's what he's doing he's doing it with a greater purpose that is in his eyes, the way to save the world. Yeah. So. In some ways, I kind of find him relatable because we're both gay, but also because (laughs) I'm very focused on being productive, which, you know, I'm trying to learn myself that there's more than just being productive, you know, especially in this age. He's focused on a mission. He's focused on, you know, making sure that it goes right. He's a smart guy. He's trying to get everything done. But in that process he loses some of his humanity and so now that the mission is over and he has this moment this is where he can be like hey let me dial it back a little bit and give some of that humanity to you harry there have been things in every single chapter of this book so far and i'm including the next one where it feels like there is this healing process in this book so far from the last book. That's why I think I'm enjoying it so much. It feels like such a breath of fresh air and everything. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, this is the last book where we're able to really look at Dumbledore and like analyze his character. So it's good to bring up some of these things where we have been pretty critical and rightly so in some cases of what he does, you know? So I did kind of come around at the end and be like, okay, I do kind of like this scene and I see its purpose. Yeah, I like it. 
So we both created a game, but I'm letting Tara do her game because. Well, okay, but what is your game? Because mine is not great. Well, mine is a quiz. Okay, well, mine is also a quiz. Okay, well, let's do both of them. And a bonus, and I do a bonus fuck, Mary kill. Okay, okay. How about this? Let's alternate our questions on the quiz. I only have four questions. Okay, I have five. So do you want me to go first and then? Yeah, sure. Okay. And who knows? Maybe we have multiple questions. I bet we have some of the same questions. See, you guys, I fucked up on purpose so that we could have this hive mind. This is just great. We're experimenting. We're, you know, we're doing things on the go and changing things when we have to because I fucked up. Okay. Question number one. What is Dumble's favorite jam flavor? Is that on your list? Raspberry. Yeah. It is. Raspberry. Okay. (laughs) What if this game becomes the easiest one ever because we have all the same questions? (laughs) What's your first question if that wasn't that? My first question was, who is Ambrosius Flume? All right. He was the one that I said already. Uh, Honeydukes, dude. Yeah. (laughs) I did not have that question. So my next one is name the town that Slughorse lives in. That's also on your list, I'm guessing. (laughs) Budley Beverton. Well done. Wow, you know this chapter so well, Tara. (laughs) Also wrote quiz, yeah. Okay, where are the muggles who own the home where Slughorn is staying? The Canary Islands. Yes. But that was not one of the ones on my list either. Oh, good. So at the very least, like, you're a little bit more unique than I am. So actually, that was your four questions, right? Oh, do I have five questions? Okay. Five. Okay. I'll do my next one, and hopefully it's not your last remaining question. What from Slughorn's potions cabinet did he use in his scene of a fucked up house. Dragon's blood. Ding dong, baby. Your turn. Final question from your Okay. How much time does Slughorn have to prepare for Dumbledore's surprise visit? Ooh, I don't know this one. Like five minutes. Two minutes. Two minutes. I was like, it's a very short amount of time. That's a good one. That's hard. That's a little bit more mundane, you know? Okay, I have two more questions for you. Okay. What ailment does he say he has? Lumbago, Lumbago? No, that was Perkins, who was Arthur's office mate. I don't even know what that is. Rheumatoid? Yes, there you go. Yeah. And then my final question is, which of these five objects was not described as being like destroyed in that fucked up house scene? Oh, okay, fuck. Those five objects are a grandfather clock, a piano, a china cabinet, a chandelier, and cushions. It's either... The grandfather clock or the china cabinet? The grandfather clock. No, it's the china cabinet. China cabinet, okay. Grandfather clock is mentioned first, (laughs) but they do mention china plates, just not a cabinet. Oh, got it. Well done. Here's the thing. We did pretty much the same exact thing for the same chapter. great. I love it. (laughs) Um, So how about a bonus fuck, Mary kill? Okay. So based on what very little information you have on these people, fuck, Mary kill. Gwenog Jones, Dirk Criswell, Barnabas Cuff. Okay. I'm going to marry Barnabas Cuff because that sounds like he got money. And then I'm going to fuck Gwenog Jones because she sounds cool as hell. I may not be into women, but that sounds sexy enough for me. So that means I think I have to kill Ambrosius, even though he does work for a kid. Oh, no, Ambrosius is not one of the people. Oh, wait. Well, the who third one is. 
Dirk Criswell. Oh, that's boring. We kill him. So I also am killing Dirk Criswell because, spoiler, by the end of the series, he's dead already. Oh. And I'm going to marry Gwenog and fuck Barnabas Cuff. Ooh. Just because. Why not? Because his last name is Cuff and that sounds sexy. <clears throat> like, like, um. You're uh, ruining it. <laughs> what's that called? Um, bondage. That's what I was Bondage? Thinking. Yeah, also, like, he got the tea. He works for the Daily Prophet. So I'll be like, tell I'm me what's going on. I'm your secrets. It is time. Jim Broadbent is here. He is. I he is wonderful. So One of my favorite moments in this scene of him is when he and Harry are left alone. And it's very clear he's like, oh my God, what am I supposed to do? How am I going to talk yeah. to him? Yeah. And very, very awkwardly, you look just like your father. Like the acting there and then how he like launches into the whole thing with his collection is so good. My one issue is I want him to look more like a walrus. I do too. But also I want him to be Jim Broadbent. So I'm like, if you could just be a little bigger, that would be fine. That or like a fake mustache is an easy thing to put on guys. Like, come on. Right. Yeah. So that's my one issue. But let's look at how we are in chapter four and already everybody in this book looks like a fucking animal. We got Bill Nye the Science Guy the Lion. We got (laughs) Slughorn the Walrus. What else are we going to get? Did I tell you that I looked it up and his last name was absolutely pronounced Nye? You did. <laughs> so Bill Nye, the science guy, that's what his name is from now on, listeners. I agree. That was one of my biggest, it's not really an issue because the actor himself is like wonderful. I think my biggest issue with this part of the movie, because I really like it. I think they really stick to it very, very close. Mm-hmm. You know, down to the door being off the hinges and down to Dumbledore taking a shit and bringing out knitting patterns and all of that. Yes. My biggest problem is that when Slughorn is showing him the table, Harry isn't saying anything. No, he really doesn't. That's the whole point of Harry being like, Harry's presence isn't enough, in my opinion, to convince him. I mean, apparently in the movie it is because that's what happened, but. That's true. The one thing that makes me frustrated is as they're going to the house, Dumbledore is like, I'm sure you're wondering where we're going, Harry. And Harry says, no, actually, I just learned to go with it. What? No. (laughs) Harry doesn't do that. Harry's like, excuse me. Yeah. Where the fuck are we going? That is what Harry would say. I didn't like, even notice that, but oh my god, again, yeah, because it's such a weird line. It's just like, oh, I've just learned to go with it. And like, no, no, no. Did you read this fucking book? More than uh-huh. anything, it's the movie getting Harry wrong. I think that this movie probably gets Harry wrong in a lot of places, but yeah. you know, right now, the rest of this scene I really did like, but I was just like, the fuck mm-hmm. is that? The two other things that I've already mentioned that I really, really love is when they do mention that they have the moving pictures of Barnabas and Gwenar. And I was, yeah. when I was watching, I was like, I don't even remember this. I didn't pay attention to it to this level. And they even have the one with like Regulus Black and it's really, really cool. But then obviously, and it's this is a little bit different too, but I don't mind it. When they walk into the house, there's blood dripping from the ceiling. Yeah. Dumbledore, oh, Dumbledore like tastes it. Yeah. Come on, Dumble. And that's how he figures it. Because when he did that, I was like, oh, he knows his dragon's <laughs> blood. That's not what I'm pointing out. Because I'm like, it is what it is. They made a decision, I guess. What I love, of course, is the magical sequence after it where everything goes back to normal. 
because second to apparition, the two biggest things I want in the magic world in the same fucking chapter. That, and then if I could clean my house, uh-huh. right? You know, my house doesn't get super messy anyways, but like being able to just like automatically like straighten everything up. Holy shit. I like the little touch of him stepping on that crystal and then it going in like pinging into mm. the chandelier. It's great. I just think the main thing, well, the main two things that they get Harry's character completely wrong and then Slughorn doesn't have a mustache. Yeah. No, that scene does look really cool with them fixing everything. Well, we should clean up. Okay. Yeah. Great. Can you imagine moving into your new apartment and being like, boom, unpack? (sighs) Oh my God, that'd be amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know where to put my shit yet though, so. That's true. But at the very least, your magic would alphabetically sort all of your books and pile them neatly in that corner where you're going to have the reading book and like... Oh my god, yes. It would be amazing. I'm giving 10 points each to Dumbledore, Harry, and Slughorn because I liked different things about each of them in this chapter. Mm -hmm. I'm taking five points away from Umbridge because she's mentioned. Oh, I'm so glad that you did that. <laughs> and that is why I did that. Because I was like, Tara will appreciate this. I it's really appreciate little, that. I'm yeah. ready to leave that bitch behind. I don't want to hear about her. Negative five. Right? Next five. time. We're going to read chapter five. Which is an excess of phlegm. Yeah. Are you experiencing an excess of phlegm right now with your COVID? Kinda. Well, it's only suitable that we are discussing this chapter straight. <laughs> Except phlegm don't mean COVID. Phlegm means someone else. (laughs) There's no real like easy way to say COVID in a French accent. But if you know, you know. You do. COVID. Um, Yeah. (laughs) COVID. (laughs) Marla is so depressed because I took away all of her squeaky. Yeah. (laughs) Marla. (laughs) She's so sad. Ah, Marla, you're depressed. (laughs) She's so I'm going to give her back a squeaky toy and meet you upstairs. All right. And by that, I mean, stairs, I'll meet you upstairs Ooh. on Zoom. What the fuck does that even mean? We're going to let <laughs> you guys go so that we can get naked in front of each other. On <laughs> so yeah, next time. We'll talk to you then. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Basic Snitches is recorded and produced by Adam Bowers and Tara Gorkery. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice and share us with all your other friends who love Harry Potter and getting drunk. Yes. Join our social media pages. Facebook, Instagram. I never update Twitter, but we have that. We do. Also email basicsnitches at gmail.com. We also now have a website, basicsnitches.com. And a Patreon, patreon.com slash basic snitches. Join today and get exclusive content every week and be acknowledged in every single one of our episodes. Taryn Telegra, dance bitch. I see you new friends who don't make me dance for nothing. Yeah, they ain't gonna come, honey. We out! <laughs>